Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. We rely on the generosity of our listeners to sustain this ministry and the message of Messianic Judaism for all nations. Please consider making a donation to Beth Emanuel by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. I used to listen to the Bible Answer Man on the radio. In those days, there was no streaming. There was barely even an internet yet. As I was driving around in my car, I would put on Christian radio with the hope of hearing some edifying Bible teaching. There was a radio show called The Bible Answer Man. The premise was simple. People had questions about the Bible. They would call the radio show, pose their question, and The Bible Answer Man would answer the question. His name was Hank Hanegraaff. Nearly a decade ago, I had the privilege of seeing Hank Hanegraaff in the flesh. I was in Jerusalem with a few of my colleagues from First Fruits of Zion on a filming trip, and the script called for a shot at the Pool of Bethesda, where the Catholic priestly order of the White Fathers controls the property around St. Anne's Church. We were supposed to have obtained a permit from the White Fathers before filming there, so as we were, we were approaching the location, I checked with the, the crew to confirm that we had the permit. We did not. No one had contacted the White Fathers in advance. I expressed my misgivings about trying to film in a church property on a church property without the proper permissions in place. It had never worked before, and we had already been kicked out of some of the most famous churches in Israel. My boss is an optimist. He said, don't worry, it will be fine. When we arrived at the location, we saw another film crew was already set up. That seemed encouraging. They were filming a Bible teacher on location. It turned out that the teacher was none other than Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man. We just waited until Hank's crew finished. As they were packing up, we took over Hank's location and started to film our teaching on the site. Then one of the white fathers noticed that Boaz was wearing a yarmulke and realized something was amiss. He called security. He demanded to know, who are you? What are you doing here? You Jews think you own everything and can do whatever you want. A security guard escorted us off the property. If I was a better person, I would have withheld my I told you so. The White Fathers incident became famous in FFOZ lore. As a bonus, I was glad to have the opportunity to see Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man. I was not exactly a fan but I listened to his radio show for years. It was entertaining. While the Bible Answer Man was broadcasting, you could call a phone number and pose a question directly to Hank, live on the air. A lot of questions the callers posed were basic Bible questions to which he competently offered solid Bible answers. But a lot of time, his answers were not so much based on the Bible as they were based on the premises of evangelical theological doctrines. More than a Bible answer man, he was an apologist for the evangelical church, and he was particularly worried about what he considered to be false cults. For example, he was very vocal about denouncing the Mormons and the worldwide Church of God. He was also vocal about his opposition to Sabbath observance and the law in general. As an apologist, he had a line of argumentation that went like this. 
When one of his callers expressed an opinion or theological position about Jesus that did not fit with traditional Christian theology, Hank would say, the Jesus you are describing is not the Jesus of the Bible, and a false Jesus cannot save you. That's how he would close many of his arguments. Basically, it meant, if you don't believe what I believe, you are going to hell. I called that the Hanegraaff Rule. Arguing with Mormons, he would invoke the Hanegraaff Rule. He would say to the Mormons, You don't believe Jesus is part of the Trinity. Then you believe in the wrong Jesus, and the wrong Jesus can't save you. Arguing with the Worldwide Church of God, he would invoke the Hanegraaff Rule. He would say, You say Jesus did not bring an end to ceremonial laws like the Sabbath? Then you believe in the wrong Jesus. Arguing with Messianic Jews, he would say, If you are observing the law, then Christ is of no benefit to you. The Christ you believe in is the wrong Jesus, and the wrong Jesus can't save you. It's the Hanegraaff rule. One night, as I was listening, I heard a caller with a familiar voice. It was one of my students from a Bible class that I taught at Church of the Open Door. A Messianic Jewish guy we'll call Rick Grossman for the sake of the story, but I've changed his name to protect his to protect the innocent. He called into the Bible Answer Man to make a case for Torah observance for Messianic Jews. He had been threatening to call Hank for a long time, so I was not surprised to hear his voice on the radio. I warned him not to do it, but he felt that if he could just get on the phone with Hanegraaff, he would be able to make his case for Torah observance for Jewish believers. Hanegraaff shot Rick down with passages plucked from Galatians and arguments about grace versus law and how in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. I don't think he pulled out the Hanegraaff rule on poor Rick, but I do remember that after the call was over, he complained to his listening audience about the audacity and arrogance of Jews like Rick who use their ethnicity to Judaize and make foolish arguments about the law. That was Hank Hanegraaff. This last week, as I was thinking about Antichrist and preparing this teaching, Hank's ominous warning came drifting back into my head. What if the Jesus you are following isn't the real Jesus? What if you got the wrong Jesus? The wrong Jesus can't save you, right? But I was thinking about it from the opposite direction. I was wondering about Hank's salvation. Because I think Hank had the wrong Jesus. I really do. As I have explained in the last several teachings, the Jesus codified in traditional church theology regarding the Torah and the Jewish people is not the real Jesus. He's a fake, a pretender, an imposter, and a devil. The Torah makes that abundantly clear. Any prophet or miracle worker who invites the Jewish people to turn away from the Torah or worship other gods is a false prophet. It does not matter if he performs signs, wonders, and miracles. It does not matter if he resurrects the dead or even comes back from the dead. The Torah says that God might allow a false prophet to perform miracles in order to test you to see if you will heed his warnings or not. 
Signs and wonders prove nothing. If the prophet counsels the Jewish people to worship other gods or counsels them not to walk in the way that the Lord your God commanded, he is a false prophet and an enticer liable to the death penalty. In his Code of Jewish Law, Maimonides lays out the criteria that the Messiah must fulfill. He reminds us that, according to the prophets, the Messiah need not do miracles, but he does need to lead the Jewish people to repent and turn back to the Torah and the commandments. He says, And if a king will arise from the house of David, who delves deeply into the study of the Torah and, like David his forefather, observes its commandments as prescribed by the written Torah and the oral Torah, and if he will prevail upon Israel to walk in the way of Torah and repair its breaches, and if he fights the wars of God, we may with assurance consider him the Messiah. If he succeeds in all of this, builds the temple, and gathers in the dispersed remnant of Israel, he is definitely the Messiah. That's Maimonides. Does this sound like the Christ of traditional church replacement theology? Does this sound like the Jesus of Hank Hanegraaff? On the contrary, the Jesus of church replacement theology could be described as the polar opposite of the one depicted in the prophets. I would put it this way. And if a king will arise from the house of David who abolishes Judaism and the commandments as prescribed by the written Torah and the oral Torah, and if he will prevail upon Israel to walk away from the Torah and transgress its boundaries, and if he rejects the Jewish people and cancels their covenant, and if he destroys the temple and replaces the remnant of Israel with a new people, he is definitely the Antichrist. In other words, he's the wrong Jesus. He's not the real Jesus. He's not the Yeshua of Nazareth depicted in the Gospels and in the New Testament, who taught Israel the path of repentance to return them to the Torah so that he could bring the kingdom and prevent the destruction of the temple. The real Jesus, the real Yeshua, did not come to abolish the Torah. Instead, he came to fulfill it, that is, to observe its commandments, both the written Torah, as he said, whoever keeps and teaches the least of these commandments will be called great in the Messianic era and the world to come. And also the oral Torah, as he said, the scribes and the sages sit in the seat of Moses, therefore do as they tell you. The true Yeshua of the New Testament lived and died as a faithful Jew according to the Torah and according to the full expression of Judaism of his day, teaching his disciples the same path. He did not start a new religion. Therefore, by the Hank Hanegraaff rule, the church is following the wrong Jesus, and the wrong Jesus can't save you. This sounds troubling. But here's the question we need to answer. Is the Hanegraaff rule true? Is it biblical? Is it true that if you have your theology wrong, God can't save you? How did we arrive at the Hanegraaff rule in the first place? To answer that question, we need to look back at how people used to get saved from going to hell. In the Gospels, it's fairly straightforward. There is a day of judgment coming when every soul must give an account before God. 
to be spared from that coming day of wrath, a person needs to prepare through obedience to God's commandments, godly living, acts of selflessness, love for others, forgiveness, and repentance from sin under the authority of Yeshua. One who does so will find shelter from the coming day of wrath, exoneration in the judgment, and a share in the world to come. That's the teaching of the New Testament. But there were some among the apostolic community who taught that this path was sufficient for Jews, but not for Gentiles. They taught that Gentiles should, in addition to these things, also undergo conversion. Paul's epistles bring correction to that argument by teaching that conversion is not necessary for Gentile disciples. God can save Gentiles the same way he saves Jews. Circumcision and the works of the law that mark out the national identity of the Jewish people who are under the law are not necessary for Gentiles. That's Paul's main argument. In later centuries, the Gentile church misunderstood Paul's writings and, consequently, the whole New Testament and the mechanisms of salvation. They quickly adopted a magical interpretation which relied not upon repentance and godliness and faith and allegiance to Messiah, but rather relied upon sacraments as a replacement for the works of the law. Through the sacrament of baptism, God removed original sin. Through the sacrament of Eucharist, he made a person part of the body of Christ and the communion of the righteous. In this way, they reinterpreted these originally Jewish rituals of immersion, the Passover Seder, and the sacred fellowship meals as something akin to magical rituals. Perhaps they saw them as Christian equivalents to similar rites employed in idolatrous and occult ceremonies. The theology developed into a conviction that, so long as a person kept the essential sacraments, whatever they might be, he need not fear the wrath of God. The sacraments would be sufficient to save you. The Protestant Church, and particularly the type of Protestant theology that Hank Hanegraaff championed, recognized that sacraments cannot save you. They looked to the New Testament and determined that a person is saved by faith. Rather than relying on that faith and God's faithfulness, however, the Protestant world retained the magical sacramental worldview and made correct theology into the new sacrament. So, in other words, it's not enough to have faith in Jesus. It has to be faith in the correct theological definition of Jesus. Otherwise, he cannot save you. That's how correct theology became a sacrament. And that's how Hank Hanegraaff derived the Hanegraaff Rule. For the sake of everyone in the mainstream church, we better hope that God does not operate according to the Hanegraaff Rule, because I think it's fairly obvious that the church has the wrong Jesus. They have the wrong Jesus entirely when it comes to mainstream Christian theology of Messiah and the Torah and the theology of the Messiah and the Jewish people and the theology of the Messiah and the kingdom. Those are not insignificant ancillary details. Those concerns are pretty much heart and center of the mission of Jesus. The Jesus the church espouses sounds a lot like Antichrist. 
Looking back over church history and how the church has relentlessly campaigned against the Jewish people in the name of Jesus, there can be little doubt that the church has put Antichrist on the throne of David, just as Asmodeus the prince of demons disguised himself as Solomon and took his seat on the throne. He's a fake messiah, a false messiah, the lawless one, the son of destruction. This is the false prophet Moses warned us about, the great delusion that Yeshua warned us about, the coming apostasy that Paul warned us about. Perhaps there is no coming Antichrist of the end times because he has already been here already for most of 2,000 years. Perhaps that's the real realized eschatology of the church. That being the case, the Hank Hanegraaff rule is real bad news for just about every Christian that has ever lived for the last 2,000 years because that's the wrong Jesus and the wrong Jesus can't save you. Fortunately for everyone in the church, the Hanegraaff rule is not a biblical idea. There is no Bible verse, no commandment in the Torah, no prophecy from the prophets, no proverb of Solomon, and no teaching in the New Testament that states the Hanegraaff rule. The Hanegraaff formula for attaining eternal life is wrong. Correct theology is not a sacrament. If you have your theology wrong, it doesn't mean that you are going to hell. It only means that you have your theology wrong. When our Master Yeshua was asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He replied, You know the commandments. And he reiterated the Ten Commandments. It was a completely Jewish answer. Obey God's commandments, walk in righteousness, it's just what you would expect from a God who rewards righteousness and punishes sin. If you want to receive the reward, walk in righteousness. The clear implication of his answer is that it's not the Torah plus something else. There's not a special ticket, secret code, or magic password you need to have in addition to what is already written in the Torah and the prophets. On another occasion, when a Torah scholar asked him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He replied with a question, What is written in the Torah? How does it read to you? In other words, the answer is in the Torah. The obvious implication is that everything necessary for inheriting eternal life is already revealed in the Torah. It did not take the addition of a new teaching as if the revelation through Moses was insufficient to do the job. It did not even require the addition of the New Testament, much less a new theological formula. Instead, Yeshua answered, What is written in the Torah? How, how does it read to you? The Torah scholar replied with two commandments from the Torah. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live, which is to say, do this and you will inherit eternal life. He did not say, 
Oh, and you also have to believe the right things about me. He just said, do this and you will live. That's the teaching of Yeshua. He did not mention a single word about sacraments, removing original sin, taking the Eucharist, or having the correct doctrines or correct Christology. He did not even mention the Hanegraaff rule about having the right Jesus. Instead, Yeshua taught the same good news of repentance he always taught. He taught an urgent summons to prepare for the coming kingdom, to escape from the coming wrath so that we might enter the kingdom and receive a share in the world to come. And that's good news for the whole church. Because here's what I see when I look at people in the church. I see the right Yeshua. When it comes to the things Yeshua taught, they've got the right guy. Using the words of Yeshua and the teachings of the New Testament that spring from him, the church teaches to love your neighbor, love others, love strangers, and even love your enemies. You will hear teachings about the need to forgive others their sins in order that God might forgive our sins. The church teaches a renunciation of the self. You will hear about freedom from sin and victory over temptations. You will hear teachings about learning to overcome the self and the ego through acts of compassion and charity, renouncing materialism, renouncing greed, and giving generously to those in need. You will hear teachings about becoming the Good Samaritan in every situation. You will hear about trusting God in every situation and the endowment of the Holy Spirit. You will hear teachings about the power of faith, the discipline of prayer, and the qualities of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You will hear teachings about walking moral, upright, godly lives, turning away from sin and the moral depravity of this wicked world. You will hear teachings about repentance from sin under the authority of Yeshua's name, confession of sin, and seeking forgiveness from God. You will hear teaching about purity of heart, about guarding your eyes, about guarding your tongues, and conducting yourself with integrity and honesty. You will hear teachings about marital fidelity, honoring parents, and walking in righteousness and holiness. You will be warned about religious hypocrisy, pretense, and every form of pride, and you will be taught the virtue of humility. You will hear teachings about walking with God in humility, about loving God, about making God the most important thing in your life, loving Him with all your heart, soul, and strength. You will hear teachings about not relying on your own righteousness, but relying instead on God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, and therefore extending that same forgiveness toward others. These are not the teachings of the wrong Jesus. These are the teachings of Yeshua of Nazareth. These teachings are the straight and narrow way that leads to life. They are the words of eternal life. The Hank Hanegraaff rule is wrong. I'm not saying that theology isn't important. It is, especially when it has to do with describing the Messiah's relationship to the Torah, the covenant with Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel, and the coming kingdom. I can think of very few theological matters more important than correctly understanding and presenting the Jewishness of the Messiah. I can think of few errors more dangerous to one's eternal destiny than casting one's allegiance with the false Messiah called Antichrist.
These are not trivial concerns. But theology doesn't save you. How do we know? Because it's possible to have the right theology on every point of doctrine and yet live a selfish, godless life of self-indulgence, wickedness, vice, and cruelty toward others. Your theology will not save you. In short, the Hank Hanegraaff rule is wrong. There's an epilogue to this story. Not long after I saw Hank Hanegraaff at the Pool of Bethesda, his radio show was pulled from the majority of Christian radio stations around the country. Why? Because Hank converted to become an Eastern Orthodox Christian in the Eastern Orthodox Church. His conversion shocked the evangelical world. How could the Bible answer man be so wrong? Yet, here he was changing out one set of creeds for another, one set of doctrines for another, one set of sacraments for another, one wrong Jesus for another wrong Jesus. In my opinion, this one might even be more wrong than the last one, thanks to their unwavering allegiance to the teachings of the 5th century golden-tongued preacher of Antioch, John Chrysostom, there's hardly a more anti-Jewish segment of the confessing church than the Orthodox Confession. No mistake about it, John Chrysostom taught the wrong Jesus, and so do his followers. The Orthodox Church is not at all embarrassed about replacement theology. But fortunately for Hank Hanegraaff, the Hanegraaff rule is wrong. In addition to the replacement theology of John Chrysostom, the Orthodox Church also teaches the words of eternal life, the words of the real Yeshua. In transmitting the words of the real Yeshua, even the Orthodox Church teaches the discipline of godliness, love of God, and love of neighbor, a life of renunciation of the self, repentance, and all that the Lord requires of you. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Take on my yoke And learn from it And find rest for your soul